And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Craig G. Bartholomew, and he's author of the book Contours of the Kuiperian Tradition, A Systematic Introduction. Dr. Bartholomew is uh, director of the Kirby Lang Institute for Christian Ethics. Dr. Bartholomew, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Oh, well, it's very good to be with you and uh, to be interviewed. I'm sitting here in a lovely sunny day in Cambridge in the UK, and glad to be on your show. <laughs> your book is uh, quite a work. I've uh, been reading it. I haven't made it all the way through it yet. Mm. It's called uh, Contours of the Kuiperian Tradition. That word Kuiperian is just uh, from the man's name, Kuiper, Abraham Kuiper. On the back of the book, Mark Knoll writes uh, that it's a welcome introduction to a memorable Christian statesman who also happened to be a formidable theologian, a pious devotional writer, and ever-active journalist. And so with that, um, maybe you can get us started. Um, How would you describe Abraham Kuyper? That's a huge question, but maybe you can get us started at least. Yeah, so uh, as Mark Knoll's endorsement indicates, he was a man with many strings to his bow, as it were. So I think the most important thing which is discussed early on in the book is that he was a converted man, and he was a Christian. And I think his conversion story is fascinating and tremendously important because he was the son of a pastor, so grew up in the midst of Christian circles. Eventually, he was at uh, university doing his doctorate in theology, and his fiancée was uh, being prepared for confession of faith uh, in the Dutch context. And he was very dismissive of her Christianity and its orthodoxy. And then she uh, recommended to him uh, the best-selling novel in Britain that year, The Heir of Redcliffe. And it was through reading this novel, which uh, most intriguingly is an Anglo-Catholic novel, and it was through reading this that Caper was converted. And so I think the, the most important thing, first of all, to know about Abraham Kuyper is that he was a solidly converted Christian, and that transformed his life. And he uh, entered you know, into the kingdom as a result of the Spirit's work through reading that book. And then, of course, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis describes the broad hall of Christianity as mere Christianity. But from there, you have to find which room or which, which part of Christianity you fit into and you think is most biblical. And so Kaper from there found his way uh, into Dutch Calvinism. Uh, so uh, uh, developed a tremendous appreciation for Calvin. But I think also came to see the need uh, to develop Calvinism and the Reformed tradition in a way that it really spoke to the contemporary situation. So he was very aware that the context he was in was very different to that of Calvin's, and that the Reformed tradition had to be faithfully developed for its day. And in particular, he's you know relating to what was going on with Enlightenment culture 
catching fire all over Europe and so on and so forth. So Kepa, I mean, he was a polymath. So he was a, a distinguished theologian. Uh, he was a politician, uh, developed the, a Christian political party, which eventually came to power in the Netherlands. Uh, he recognized the need for journalism. He wrote uh, many, many wonderful devotions, which are gathered into devotional books and so on. So uh, really an extraordinary figure. Yeah, that's very helpful. And it's helpful to realize, you know, if people have heard of uh, Kuiper and realize mm-hmm. he uh, eventually became prime minister, I believe, of the Netherlands, right, uh, yeah. they, they might be inclined, if they have poor theology, to come to the conclusion of, Oh, he can't be a committed Christian, uh, you know, if he's involved in politics. Have you ever heard uh, sentiments like that? Yes, yeah, well, you know, so uh, I grew up in South Africa, in apartheid South Africa, and I was converted, thoroughly converted as a teenager at about the age of 14. And, you know, we were in a, in a cultural context where racism Uh, was deeply embedded in every aspect of societal life. And one of the enormous tragedies was that, with some very important exceptions, most evangelicals uh, had nothing to say in critique of that racism. So, you know, of course, how we relate and get involved in politics is a very important question. But I think that we have to relate to and get involved in politics should not be uh, a a question. So, you know, the gospel, for example, uh, clearly says no to racism, and therefore followers of Christ ought to say the same. And with Kaper, what is so interesting is his involvement in public life is a direct extension of his following of Christ. So for him, there's no dichotomy between you know, loving Scripture as God's Word, receiving it and reading it as God speaking to him, and bearing witness to his faith at the highest levels of government. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, The uh, book is organized. I just mentioned quick here. You do cover um, his conversion that you just mentioned, Mm. and then um, you also cover um, creation and redemption, um, Scripture, uh, mm. worldview, and uh, also sphere sovereignty. Mm. It's a key development in, in Kuiper's thinking and application. Uh, then you cover the church and politics, the poor, and pluralism, mission, mm. philosophy, theology, education, and the need for spiritual formation. Um, one thing you mentioned I, I found particularly interesting was that um, both in the book and, and just now, that um, to uh, to Kuiper, Abraham Kuiper, context was very important, and um, th- that that context, he he wanted to, uh, in in so many words, apply uh, the gospel to uh, to every area of life and see a true. Um, see that of grace restoring nature, I believe would be safe to say. Um, now, now, if that's the case, is, is that why he uh, refers to himself as a neo-Calvinist? Well, the, uh, if I have it correct, that, that was the label that his opponents gave to him. Uh-huh. 
but he embraced it willingly. <laughs> you know, so, so, so the tradition of Kepa is often called the Caparian tradition or the Neo-Calvinist or the Neo-Caparian tradition. So, and I think, you know, the, I mean, Kuiper was uh, deeply, uh, you know, loved Calvin and saw himself uh, very, very clearly as in the tradition and uh, the path of Calvin. But the neo part, uh, you know, the best reading of the neo part, the word neo just means new. And so that means that the church, from Kuiper's point of view, and I think from, from my point of view, we don't see the Holy Spirit as finishing his work at the time of the Reformation. So in other words, we who live at different times have to receive the incredible gift of the Reformers, but we have to continue their work and we have to apply it and contextualize it in the context in which we find ourselves. So I think that that's where that label neo-Calvinist comes okay. from, but it was... Yes, it was a sort of slur from his opponents, but as I understand it, he embraced it uh, greatly. <laughs> that, that's very helpful. Um, there was a quotation I came across this morning when I was reading, and it was something like this, What happens when God comes is not going to be grape shot, it's going to be nuclear, a kind of explosion, a reshaping of the earth. And and uh, that's kind of in war terms, but it, I think it shows the far-reaching effect. And maybe you can speak to this uh, of the gospel. It, it's not as important as our personal salvation is, and it's eternally important. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's bigger than that, uh, isn't it? Yes. Well, I think this is you know where I think Kaper correctly understood has, has so much to offer us. So. You know, you you will see uh, the way I've written the book that in the early chapters I ask what are the foundational elements of of Kaper's thought and tradition. And so one of them is conversion, conversion. So we never want to get away from that, and Kaper would never wanted us to get away from that, nor his colleagues. So uh, individual conversion is of primary importance. We must be born again. We must come to a living faith in Christ. But the question is whether that faith only relates to us as an individual or whether it's so big that it relates to the whole of creation, the whole of our societies, and to every aspect of life. And Kaper uh, held on to both of those things strongly. So you don't let go of the need for evangelism, mission, individual conversion. But the Christian life and and the potential influence of the Christian life extends to all areas of culture because the Christ that we come to faith in is the Lord of all. He is the one from whom, through whom, and to whom all things belong. And so it's this combination of, of both those insights without letting go of either that I think is very helpful in Kuiper. Mm. Now, I noticed, too, that um, you cover uh, a number of other thinkers and, and reformers. Uh, one stood out, of course, is, is Herman Bovink. Mm. And uh, he was he trained by Kuiper? I'm trying to recall. Uh, I don't think so, uh, though that's a very good question. 
because uh, he was uh, primarily based in a different city and uh, a different uh, institution. Mm. I, I can't recall if he studied uh, at the Free University. I mean, he was a contemporary of Kuiper. Okay. And eventually he moved from Kampen Seminary to being a professor at the Free University of Amsterdam. But uh, yeah, Barvink, and you know, we're in a day now where most of, of or, or, or a huge percentage of Barvink's extraordinarily rich theological work is in English. And his Reform Dogmatics, for example, is a extraordinary gift. And so, so that has been retrieved so that theologically, uh, Barvink is better known than Kaper, who's more known as a public theologian. But I think a, a thing that is of great interest to me is that uh, Kaper was trained as a theologian, and his uh, magnum opus, so his great work in that respect, is his three-volume work on uh, the Encyclopedia of Sacred Theology. And it's really only volume two of that that is published in English. But I think when you when you read that work, you get a sense of just how uh, extraordinarily well-equipped Kaper was as a theologian. There's also, by the way, Kaper's notes to his students are published in Dutch as his Diktaten Dogmatiek, his Dictated Dogmatics. And th those have tended to be ignored, but there is some impetus now towards getting that translated as well. Mm, yeah. Well, well, today we're talking about this book, uh, Contours of the Kuiperian Tradition. Uh, it's published by InterVarsity Press 2017, and on the Skype line with us today is author, the Reverend Dr. Craig G. Bartholomew. And um, let me just ask a simple question, but it's very profound, probably can't even answer it completely in such a short interview here. Why does worldview matter? Why does worldview matter? Mm, mm. And, uh, you know, let me just first of all explain where it fits in with Kaper's thought. So, well, the, the word worldview, uh, the German word is Weltanschauung, has an interesting history which precedes Kaper. But what happened uh, when Kaper was, was, was thinking about how the gospel encountered his culture is almost simultaneously he and the Scottish Reformed theologian James Orr reached for the concept of worldview as a way of explaining the holistic encounter between the gospel and the Enlightenment culture that was getting traction all around them. And they reached for it because uh, uh, Kaper is very clear on this, that what he calls a piecemeal, a sort of partial, a bit here and a bit there response to the Enlightenment tradition was inadequate. So the, the Enlightenment tradition it was very powerful. It was restructuring European and Western culture from the ground up. And they recognized that just as the Enlightenment tradition was holistic, we needed, if we wanted to bear witness to Christ, to similarly recover the holism of the Christian tradition that it too relates to all of life. 
And so both uh, uh, Kuiper and Orr simultaneously reached for the concept of worldview. Now, now I don't think, you know, that uh, the word, you know, th there may be better words. So I, I don't think we have to, to worry. But, uh, but I can only, from personal experience, uh, being converted as an evangelical in South Africa, it was a moment of tremendous illumination when I was able to say that my faith provides me with a worldview and it relates to all of life in apartheid South Africa, including politics. Uh, so, so it just helped me so tremendously to see that my faith, of course, it had led to my conversion. Uh, that was the starting point. But then it opened out onto the whole of the creation. And so I think that's why Kepar and people like me have found the word worldview so very helpful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, the, uh, the book also mentions at a couple of points um, the French Revolution and how what mm. came out of that is far different than what Kuiper was pushing for. Can you explain a little bit of that? Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, one of Kuiper's uh, mentors... Uh, Gulam Khrun von Prinster wrote uh, a seminal book, really, in this regard, called Unbelief and Revolution. And so, you know, the events of the French Revolution were not too distant. And so they, they were looking at this model for bringing change in a culture, uh, you know, with its, uh, with its great slogans and so on, but which ended up leading to terrible violence and massacres and so on and so forth. So, and you know, increasingly in my own thinking, I've come to see their response as very insightful. So the name of the political party that Kaper founded with the help of many others is the Anti-Revolutionary Party. And I think the insight here, which, which personally I've come to value more and more, is that when you see that society is going in a wrong direction, I mean, it's very tempting to try and go for revolution, to completely erase everything and try and build completely afresh. Right. So, so that, and I mean, anyone who has a critique of culture could feel that attraction, you know, let's start again. But I think what Kaper and them saw was that is the path that leads to violence and oppression. And what we need to do, rather, is work with where our culture is and try and push and nudge it into a healthy direction. So we work for incremental change. We don't try and use violence to, you know, completely burn the thing to the ground so that we can then build the perfect culture which often ends up being far more or, or more oppressive right. and oppressive than the previous one. So, so this for me has come to be quite a very useful insight. So, you know, in my own, in the cultures and I've lived around the world is to be very alert to the weaknesses of the culture, but also to be very alert to the strengths of the culture. And then to ask in a missional way, how do we live as God's people to try and promote the flourishing of our culture to the benefit of all citizens and to the glory of God. Oh, that's great. Amen. We've got maybe five minutes left. Uh, today we're 
Looking at this book, Contours of the Kuiperian Tradition, a Systematic Introduction by Craig G. Bartholomew, and it's a, it's a marvelous book. It's a marvelous study. Um, I just wanted to comment uh, or ask the question or something about um, sometimes um, uh, those of us who are maybe not as well-educated, not as well-versed in these things, um, overreact when we see a particular name. And, and, you know, maybe it's somebody we've been told, oh, he's no good, she's no good, you shouldn't be reading anything about them. But as, um, as a person interested in truth, it seems a, a better approach is to not be afraid of reading and then uh, put things to sound judgment, measure them against the, the Word of God. So you as a scholar, what have you found to, to guide you as you uh, dip into the different thoughts of people and try to form some sound, reasonable conclusions? Mm, no, th- thank you, Dan. That, that's a beautiful question. So, you know, just several quick points in response to that. The one is that Kepa has this beautiful expression, uh, the decliner Leiden, the small people. So, so Kepa, in many ways, had a profound respect for people like my deceased mother, you know, a beautiful, lovely Christian, not an intellectual, but with a living and a vibrant faith. So, so Kepa, uh, I think, w- would have been the last person to despise the what we might call, you know, the beautifully ordinary average Christian seeking to follow God, not an intellectual, which is beautiful. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, we are followers of Christ, not of Abraham Kuyper. So when, you know, I, I have written this book because I think Kuyper has so much to offer us today. There's also points at which I'm severely critical of Kuyper. And he, uh, you know, intervened in what was going on uh, then in what, what was my, is my home country, South Africa, in an extraordinarily unhelpful way. And so I see that as one of the lowest moments. So whenever it's a human figure, we have to test it. And, you know, we test it by the light of Scripture. And I think also we have to, you know, with everyone, we have to ask what gifts does this person bring and what is there that they bring which we need to reject. So my appeal would be to Christians today is to learn to think in the light of the gospel. You know, one of the dangers, I think, in some of our evangelicalism is that we have our gurus. And if our guru tells us it's okay, it's okay. We don't have to think about it. And in my opinion, we would do enormously well to start thinking for ourselves in the light of the gospel. That is so needed, and in, in, particularly in light of um, the amount of time folks spend on um, their cell phones and Facebook and looking at these quick little uh, postings that usually don't have a lot of substance to them. Um, to, to really grow, it, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It, it really does. It's also absolutely exhilarating. <laughs> so, you know, as I mean, I've spent just returned from 13 years teaching at a, a Christian university, which has been a wonderful privilege. But, you know, from the first moment, literally in any class I taught, I would be encouraging my students to ask their questions so that I could teach them from where they were 
and encourage them to think and to come to views that they themselves could arrive at in the light of Scripture and God's revelation. So, you know, I mean, this is meant to be the genius of Protestantism, that we don't just have human authorities that we trust to tell us what the truth is. We have Scripture, and then we have to bring everything, uh, you know, the light of Scripture to bear on all. We have to bring every thought captive to Christ. Amen. But it's not work, and the sound bite doesn't do it. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much. Today we've been talking with Reverend Dr. Craig G. Bartholomew. He is the director of the Kirby Lang Institute for Christian Ethics, and uh, he's talking to us today from Cambridge, from the Tyndale House in Cambridge. And uh, if someone would like to get a copy of your book, uh, Craig, how would they go about doing that? Well, it's published by InterVarsity Press uh, Academic in the USA, so it's readily available. And I imagine nowadays most of us would go to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like we're always going to Amazon anymore. Well, thank you very much for taking your precious time and sharing it with our listeners. We do appreciate it, Doctor. No, no, it's it's a privilege, and thank you for the invitation. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean we we're all in this together, so that's what it's about. <laughs> And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning, where'er thy face appears.